Well, howdy, everybody. Welcome to the Rabbit Trail podcast. Garrick, it is good to see you. Um, as we as we get started here, uh, are you familiar with Flight of the Concords? Of course, yes, yes. All right, so they have this one song. I forget the name of the song. I really should have done my research on this before launching into this. But anyway, part of the song is they're just going down a riff, and he says, uh, what does it mean to be a man? Am I a man? Yes, I am a man. Well, technically, no, maybe. Well, technically, yes, I am a man. Oftentimes when I think about leadership, I go through that song and I go, am I a leader? Well, yes, technically, technically, yes. Um, I feel like there's a lot of, we've been talking about leadership lately. Uh, I feel like there's a lot out there of uh, just a lot of people. I I don't feel like leadership is really understood, even though there's a lot of people out there who Mm -hmm. talk about leadership. And we talk about it constantly, even especially within our organization. So we've been very fortunate. Last last uh, episode, we had Gary Run on. Uh, today, we're very fortunate to have uh, a friend of yours on who is yeah. um, uh, has a lot more expertise on this than you or I and has valuable things to say. No pressure, Robin. Um, so yeah, so excited about the conversation today. So with so we don't waste D.E. Adams' time in banter. <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead and just launch right into this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll introduce, uh, Robin Pugh. Uh, the most important thing is the Texan. So, uh, you know, that's important, but, uh, <laughs> a UT Texan. Yes. Oh, we'll have to talk about that later. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll now that I'm that. paying tuition to OU. Um, so, uh, but they got the better of us this, this round. So we'll see, we'll see quite a shellacking. Um, so, so Robin, I, I know Robin from church, Highland Park Prez, uh, from working in Spain together on the community of Santiago uh, as well. Uh, Robin's a great guy. Uh, Robin has a, has a really great story about how he decided to start his own company. Maybe we'll get into that um, if he wants to. Uh, but he, he uh, is the, I guess, the president of Robin Pugh, uh, the Robin Pugh company. Uh, is that is it, or is it just Robin Pugh? You know, it's it's really bad branding. So, you know, the Robin Pugh Inc., but it's funny to say that I'm the president of Robin Pugh. So I, I guess that's, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. An aspect of leadership we'll have to talk about. Yes. And uh has written a book, has a book out, uh, which which looks very interesting. Um, it is called Performance Intelligence at Work, the five essentials of achieving the mind of a champion. Um, so Robin does coaching and um, leadership consulting for uh, companies, uh, some some uh, pretty important companies. And I, I think you uh, you're out there to in, inspire leaders, right? Um, and inspire, teach, train, coach the next generation of leaders. Um, and if you spend any time with with Robin, you very quickly realize he is a a natural inspirer. I don't. That's not that's not a word. But he is someone who inspires others, uh, and 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 I've seen many times inspire others to take big steps and to do something. And I think uh, that's something I think we need to talk about a little bit about leadership because I think it is something that is sometimes a hard thing to do is to, is to know when and how to take that big step, and that's often and how to get people to go with this. So we maybe we'll talk about that. I also want to say he has a great newsletter. So if you go to robinp.com, I think you can register for the newsletter. There and I, I get it. it comes out on for me Sunday night, um, and I, I I look at it, I read it. It's got great stuff, um, and I, I resonate with a lot of it. Even though I'm I'm leading in a very different setting, which is not you and I are not bear not leading the business world, but we're leading in a still in a setting which is sometimes very fraught with chaos or 
having to figure out things quickly um, and not necessarily always having all the the skills or the stuff right in front of you, resources that you need. So um, I think this will be a great conversation. Uh, Robin, thank you so much. Uh, did I leave off anything? Also, Karen, wife, uh, great, another great friend. And um, yeah. Anything else you'd all like right. to, to say that no. miss anything? No, I, I'd rather talk about what you guys want to talk about. If there's anything yeah. else important about my background, I'm sure it'll surface over the course of our time together. Excellent. So thank you guys for having me. So, so Robin, I, I do have a, a first question for you. It kind of relates to my ridiculous story um, but in the beginning. But how would you define leadership? So as we mm -hmm. journey into this, from, from your perspective, what is leadership at the end of the day? So it's a great question because I think in the definition of everybody's mind, it's it's different. In fact, I just did a leadership offsite for a company. This woman who was installed as the CEO during COVID was presiding over this business that was, Garrick, just like you said, in chaos, trying to figure things out quickly, not having a lot of resources. And she was hiring some additional leaders that were joining the executive team. And this was the very first time that all of her leadership were going to be in the same room. This was a couple of weeks ago. And the exact same question came up, which is, well, what is leadership? In part, because the sole goal of the offset was to define the leadership tenants that were going to govern the leadership culture of the organization. So the CEO is amazing. She understands that leadership is the difference maker. And so she's got to galvanize her team around these five tenants that were as of yet undefined for this particular organization. So in order to make the point about, well, wait a minute, if we're coming up with leadership tenants, to your point, Barrett, what is leadership? So we do this exercise. We had three tables, six, seven people at each table. And I said, you have 60 seconds to go pen to paper to write as many words that describe leadership just to you. So 60 seconds, everybody's writing them down. They come up with eight, 10, 12 words. And then I say, okay, part two of the exercise at your table of six, find out how many words everybody has in common. So mm -hmm. if leadership is influence and you wrote that down, how, how many other people at the table have that exact word? It's a little bit of a trick pop quiz because what happens every single time is that nobody at the table has all the same words. So if I wrote down influence, nobody else at the table or only one or two other people at the table have that word, but nobody has, or everybody doesn't have the same word. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so what that does is it impacts everybody and said, are you kidding me? Like I've been a leader for 20, 30 years, and this is my definition of leadership. And I've been working alongside of you and you have a completely different mm -hmm. definition of leadership. We don't have any words that are in common across four or five people at the table, which I think is such a good object lesson to just say, wow, we're all walking around with a slightly different flavor of the definition of leadership. Mm -hmm. And so no wonder that it's your very first question, because we do not have a universal definition of leadership. Now, 
if you make me answer the question from my perspective as somebody who is spending all day, every day, inspiring, teaching, training, and coaching leaders, I would boil it down to this simple word, which is leadership is influence. Influence. So we talk a lot about leading yourself, leading a team, and leading the organization. So kind of those three cascading elements of leadership. Of course, you have maximum influence over yourself. What is your ability to lead yourself well? So in the leadership language, it's called, what are your uh, executive function skills? How are you able to get up, get yourself ready, show up well, and you know do the job that you're supposed to do? Those are the disciplines. So Atomic Habits is an incredible book that you know talks about these small things make a big difference or 1% better each day. You know, just all of these books that are talking about your actions. Well, when you talk about a team, if you don't have anybody following you, you can't really call yourself a leader. Mm-hmm. Now, you may have the title of leader, but if you don't have anybody that is engaged in following you, then you're not leading anybody, even though the organization has given you a title. So it's a long sort of monologue here at the beginning, just because it's such a uh, complex question. But if you take my focus on it, it's what's your influence in the world, in your organization, and how are you utilizing that influence and for what purpose? So, so if, if leadership is influence, it seems to me that it could be, this is a conversation, this is a continued conversation that Garrick and I have all the time, but the question of skill versus character for a leader, if, if at the end of the day, leadership is influence, it seems like obviously skill is needed, but really at the end of the day, character is more important because you can teach a skill but a character, or is it more important? I guess is my is my question. Or what's the what's the value statement? What's the value equation there over over skill versus mm-hmm. character in your mind? And and why are you putting it as sort of an either or, which yeah. is important? I mean, just yeah, as, that's yeah. A, that's a great that's a great question. Yeah. I I think we okay. So I think from our uh, perspective, working in the Christian mission realm, right? Uh, and I think we work for an organization, which is, is a fantastic organization, but it's very, uh, I want to be careful how it says it's, it's very maybe based in 1950s, 1960s practicality, right? So things get, an organization is, is going to gets done. There's an assumed spirituality or character in that because we are Christians. Um, but, but it, it feels we're trained often very much to skill set, And, and I, and I wonder if how much, how real, how much of that is also across modern evangelicalism of, of these are the skills you got to do. These are the processes we got to do to get to point from point A to point B when we don't, we don't talk too much about, okay, well, what's really going on or even define leaderships maybe very clearly uh, for people or give people the framework. So maybe we we see it from that standpoint a little bit. Does that sound like a, a fair assessment Barrett of kind of, yeah, yeah. The easiest way to say it is that character is often assumed in the circles that we run around in, but very rarely, not as much time is spent on development of that versus skill set, which maybe tends to be the gaps. Maybe it just speaks to the fact that, generally speaking, I'm incompetent. 
What what I love about what you're wrestling with is that you are extremely contemporary in the issues that you're wrestling with. So if the leadership mode that has been prevalent for in number of decades, you're harking back to the 50s and 60s, let's just say the past 50 years, that mode of leadership is command and control. Mm-hmm. And it gets its roots out of a military background. So you have a general all the way down to the private and do what I tell you to do, because if you don't, people die. Well, in the industrial age, do what I tell you to do or what? Like nobody's really going to be dying. I mean, obviously, if you're working with heavy machinery or something like that, that's the exception. But we got our roots from the command and control. And what that does is that really is a skills-based leadership model. Train under me, mentor under me for three, seven, you know, whatever years will then make you partner and you get to repeat the cycle. Mm -hmm. And character, while important, wasn't really determinative of your advancement, provided that it was more a meritocracy from whatever the rubric was that the command and control value. So here are the competencies. Master these skills. You will get a good review. You'll move to the Mm. next level. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So if you take a ministry that was birthed during that era, that was what all the leadership books or management books, they didn't even really call it leadership back then. They called it management. The management books were, were written on. So they they just did what was the prevailing view. And I'm not even really talking about your organization. I'm just theorizing based on the organizations that got started during that period of time. Well, gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that command and control as a leadership mode is dead. Mm-hmm. But not everybody knows that. Yeah. So if in the next three or four years in the United States, the millennial generation will represent 75% of the workforce, and I think that's fairly consistent across the globe, they do not subscribe to command and control. Specifically because, and this is just my point of view and the research that I've done and the conversations that I've had with the leaders that I work with, The primary reason is because the millennials don't have to. They don't have to live under the tutelage or the mentorship of people who know more than them. They actually know a lot because technology has advanced so quickly. They have skills that the generations ahead of them do not have. So they actually have uh, purchasing power, so to speak, for their careers because, oh, dang it, social media is an incredible outlet for marketing and PR. We don't know how to do that. We've got to have the millennial. Okay, we're going to give you privileges inside of our organization at an age or a tenure of your experience in our company that would have never existed before. So... I think what you're experiencing is a deep roots of an organization, which has had tremendous impact across the (laughs) world, perhaps wrestling with how to make themselves relevant from a development of their leaders, as we define it, 
those people who have influence. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, it may not mean the vertical hierarchy of the organization necessarily. Mm-hmm. This is this okay. This is this. I'm I'm glad you unpacked that historically and from a you know a, or historiographically right. Looking back at how this was taught over time, um, and it 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 makes me feel better about the feelings I'm I've been having. And as I put on my theologian hat too, in in a lot of ways this shift feels good on a, on a, on two levels. One because right, we're as an organization that works with students, we care about students, we care about young generations and we want to adapt to that we want that to be who we're about but also as, as i look at this from a theological standpoint and as i pick apart um leadership biblically theologically it feels so you know correct me if i'm wrong it is this is but my theory here is it feels that this shift that is happening and when you see it in more of the you know for lack of a better term secular leadership literature is actually maybe a more biblical shift because we're no we're talking about leaders that um the skills they need to have are humility uh you know service gets thrown out a lot more now than the command and control structure which maybe wasn't anything wrong with that and hopefully that you know, those were balanced with some in christian organizations with some of those you know our, our tendency to try to be like jesus or want to be like jesus um but it, it feels like we're moving to a leadership model that is maybe more rooted either intentionally or in, unintentionally in um in maybe a, a biblical perception of what a leader should be you know which is relationships are are important so i'll, I'll throw that out there what 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 do you think yeah I, I think that's an interesting take on it and um you know when change is happening we're trying to figure out what's happening in the moment and what does that mean for the future and our evaluation is typically from the past. And so in the comments that you were just making, you're wrestling with, oh, wow, if we do have this uh, evolution that's happening, perhaps we're moving toward, if the hope is we're moving towards something more relational and the things that come along with that humility service, maybe that's more Christ-like than the old model. I don't know that we have to make the old model wrong yeah. about mm-hmm. what it was at the moment, but I really appreciate the evaluation because you're trying to figure out what did we have versus what we what do we have. Mm-hmm. And what I would say to you is um, the same leader that had me at the offsite that I was mentioning where we did the definition of leadership, she addressed her troops in a very clear way about three worlds that we have lived in over the past four years. Mm-hmm pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic, which of course seems obvious because we've all lived it. But she was making the point that all three of those worlds were completely different one from the other. Mm -hmm. And that was, of course, her opinion from her organization's perspective. And I've really been marinating on that over the past few weeks after she has said it. And from a leadership perspective, I think it's true because what we knew pre-pandemic, which was useful for the environment in which we were leading, so much of what that landscape or topography was is gone. 
Then there was a survival mode inside of the pandemic where everybody can't really think about, oh, what's the vision for the future? I don't care about the vision for the future. My future is tomorrow. Like, mm -hmm. am I going to be able to keep my business alive? Am I going to be alive? You know, those types of questions. You can't plan a garden while you're in the middle of a war. And now here we are in this world that is post-pandemic, which is still unfolding in a way that we don't have all the information or details. I don't know what leadership mode is going to be in place. I mean, we can talk about that over the course of the coming minutes, but the point is, I don't think we've settled out yet. <laughs> and so while those old worlds exist and we remember them, it's all about looking forward and, and being in touch with the reality of today so that we can be the leader that our organization and our team requires of us now even though the ground is shifting slightly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you say something very interesting there about the, 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 the leader we need to be now. <clears throat> um, you know, uh, so I think that, that is also a question I think we want to, we want to, we want to get to about, uh, but I also at some point want to come back to the millennials and Gen Z and stuff, but let, maybe we should go with that. Cause I think you, you hit a point of the last, you know, last years have been crazy. And, and yeah. to be honest, generally uh life is crazy the world is crazy but the, that all got condensed into a three-year time frame as maybe would be a 10-year or 20-year system of changes and chaos um so how, how so you're so let's let's take that if you're a leader who is trying to figure out what to do now what 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 are the most important things that they they need to have because I, th I think a lot of leaders want to go and say, tell me what to do, or I need to know exactly what to do. Um, and that's not been my, my experience. Most times I've been put into leadership positions that have just been given the mantle and then said, good luck, kind of, you know, maybe that's. <laughs> well, uh, I, I refer to that as sort of the accidental leader, like, mm -hmm. oh, hey, I did what I was doing and I did it really well. And then somebody sort of bestowed the mantle of leadership on me and kind of scooted me out into the world and said, call me if you need me. I hope everything goes well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it kind of goes back to this question of, well, what is a leader? Is a leader a title? Is a leader a position? And I do like to land on the fact that leadership is influenced because that starts changing the conversation for every single person listening to our conversation because they're thinking, well, I'm not this type of leader yet or I haven't gotten there yet. No, if we believe in God and if he has a purpose for us beyond just glorifying him, right? That's the God box. We are here made in the image of him in order to glorify him and yet uniquely endowed with gifts that are different than what someone else has. So if he didn't pack it in my bag, I don't need it for what he's calling me to do. So mm -hmm. the churchy way to say that is bloom where you're planted. You know, there's no mistake. You're right where you need to be. You're in the palm of God's hand, what, whatever that is. Yes. And for what purpose have you been called to do what you're doing? Because influence, you could be a team of one and how you go out into the world in the mission field, you are leading those individuals that you are otherwise coming in contact with on a daily basis. So if we change the definition of leadership to say that you are blessed 
and you were blessed in order to go be a blessing with the specific, unique spiritual gifts and talents that God has endowed you with, I mean, game over. Now, all of a sudden, we can see a heat map of God's influence through us in every single person that we interact with. And now we're not getting hung up on the issues of the day related to leadership or character. These things are important, and we're going to wrestle all of those to the ground. But this is out. We are the tip of the spear of God's calling for our life in this moment, whether we're part of Agape or crew or a for-profit business in Europe or in the United States. And we have every single day the opportunity to influence the people that he puts in front of us, the divine appointments of the day. We're not thinking about leadership in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That that seems like a a pretty big, um, well, first of all, I, I like it. So yeah. Um, I'll take that, put it in my wallet and use it later. Um, but it seems like a pretty big, uh, paradigm shift for most people. Uh, Maybe for whatever reasons, contextually, it's not how leadership has been modeled or defined in the past. Um, maybe maybe we tend to think of a good leader as the great man of history model rather than something else. Uh, there could be any number of reasons, but it seems like a pretty big paradigm shift. Do you find that that's a pretty big paradigm shift? When you describe leadership in that way, does that seem like, is that freeing to most people? Or is it kind of like, well, wait a second. I, I'm not sure I can can do that sort of thing because you it, it, there's a lot of self awareness that has to come with hey this, these are these are the things that who I am that allow me to say no to a lot of things and yes to the right things and then find people who need to do the other things right yeah yeah so let's take Garrick's comment about the fact that most people are just like oh tell me what to do well what do you mean tell me what to do yeah. all that question does is continue the cycle of well let me tell you what skills you need and go to this mm-hmm. class and master those skills and so to your point barrett the the point is we've got to be centered and understanding why we are right here where we are so when you say self-awareness Absolutely. I mean, is that not also the life of following Jesus? He did not. I I love The Chosen. Have you had a chance to watch that series by Mm -hmm. Dallas? What's so great about it is it really personifies these stories that we're reading in scripture, which and until I was able to actually go to Israel, I think I had fallen into the trap of reading it as if it was a fantastical story. I mean, of course, I knew that it was true and it was real and it was the inerrant word of God, but I didn't really think about the dirt on the ground in Capernaum. Mm-hmm. Sort of like I walked through the back of the wardrobe and instead of you know believing in that fantastical world, I believed in this fantastical world, which is true, truth. And so my point is, is that We are thinking about the fact in this chosen, he's showing us that he was not skill building for the disciples. He was building a relationship with them. And this gets us exactly to today, exactly what you're saying, Garrick, which is, is this model hopeful that it's moving closer to to Christ in in a, a biblical model? If I had to answer the question, I'd probably say yes, because it's built on relationships. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the crazy thing right now is, is it, 
the the new the newer model is more effective because you're freeing up people, right? You're empowering people. You're allowing people the ability to make decisions in the moment. And maybe sometimes those will be mistakes, but if everyone is on a team together and has each other back, then it should then, you know, be more effective as a dynamic way to move the ball forward. Yeah. So uh, I use an assessment, it's called market force. And for the purposes of this, this point, there are four styles and a, um, a dissecting of the, of the styles is either task first in orientation or people first in orientation. And so there are two styles that are task oriented first, and then there are two styles that are people first. Well, when you're task first, that's the way that you wake up in the day. Let me give you an example. So I get to the office back when we were in the office. And if I'm task first, I go to my desk, I put my bag down, I open my computer and I start responding to emails. When I get thirsty, I will get up, go to the break room, get coffee, and I will say hi to whoever I happen to pass on the way there and the way back. And I'm checking the box on, oh, I checked in with the people, but only through a task first perspective. The people first people drop their bag off. They do a couple of laps around the entire office saying hi to everybody, checking in with everybody. And only after their tank is full, do they sit down and do their emails. The command and control model that we mentioned earlier is heavy task. Do this or else. Well, guess what? The leader no longer has that authority because the workforce is saying, okay, I'll just move to the next job yeah. because it is no longer a negative ding to your resume to be a job hopper. The baby boomers may think that it's a negative, like, oh, I'm not going to hire them because they've had three jobs in the past 18 months. Well, somebody's going to hire them yeah. and baby boomers are going to be fully out of the workforce in the next five years. Yeah. So everything has changed. And that's what I was saying about purchasing power. You could use the word leverage is that the entire dynamics of the old system have changed, which is making way for the style of leadership, which is putting relationships first. Mm -hmm. We still have to get tasks done, but when the relationship is strong, the tasks get done in that team environment that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you, you have a slide deck that I was looking at, which yeah, got me excited. And because you're, you're talking about a leadership revolution and, and like I said, that's what I've, I've felt. I feel like, I feel like the church, not all churches, not all Christian organizations, I feel we're a little bit behind on this. Um, and, but, but there, there's more than just, you know, practical reasons for this, but there are practical reasons for that. This is the way we're moving forward. Um, I, I tend to look at things theologically. Um, but I, um, so, so I, I think that so you so you 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 feel this is a major a, this is a major shift that's going on in leadership. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, behind closed doors, not necessarily like published to the world. I really do believe that there is a leadership revolution that is occurring because what we've watched over the past you know five six years is a tearing down of every single institution. And we haven't yet gotten to the institution of leadership until mm. the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So the pandemic comes through and upends all of the traditional ways that business is done. 
And in order to survive, those businesses have been forced to adapt. I mean, this is the whole conversation. How do I get my people back into the workforce, you know, back into the office? Or are we going to do remote? And if so, how do we do? I mean, everything. It's accelerated some things. I mean, here we are on Zoom across yeah. the world. That adoption has happened. We have baby boomers that know how to use a QR code now. Like there have been some really good things. And yet I believe that the institution of the command and control is being broken down, completely fractured, and something will come in its place. So we do leadership programs. And one of them is a leadership cohort, five to nine people, from an organization coming through a six month kind of leadership foundations class. We anchor that six units with the emotional intelligence assessment, EQI 2.0, because the softer side of leadership is the most anemic aspect of current leaders toolkit. Because they're used to getting the tasks done. And even during the pandemic, we didn't have time for relationships. It was like hustle, hustle, hustle to stay alive. Well, now that we have survived, survival is just a zero sum game. We need to thrive. And we're only, I believe, hot sports opinion, that we are only going to be able to successfully survive without killing each other and thrive if we do it from a highly emotionally intelligent place. Mm -hmm. And we're not skilled at that. Yeah. Of course, I'm speaking in broad brushstrokes. So uh, challenge me, you know, anybody that's listening doesn't agree, throw that out, you know, let's have that dialogue. But that's what we're banking on for the next 10 years when we boldly say inspire, teach, train and coach the next generations of leaders. And we know that those 15 skills inside of emotional intelligence are going to be a staple for successful leadership in the coming world. So when you mentioned those, uh, you, you just mentioned them, but the, the three or four things of these are the coach teach yeah. skill, all those things. When we talk about institutions being torn down, I think you're right. Um, Yuval Levin, if you're familiar with Yuval Levin has written quite a bit on this. He's more of a political guy. He runs uh, American enterprise Institute, but he's a, he's an incredible thinker. Um, he would say that now is a time to build institutions. Uh, my, how this relates is I've often thought that, well, when I was growing up institutions, it wasn't just my parents who gave me and my church that gave me the character bit, but it was my local little league team, football team. The institutions that were around me were all working to form my character so that when I turned 18, um, wanted to sell my first truck, uh, and said for some stupid reason, said to the low ball of the guy, first guy to show up at my door, I felt that character wise, I had to say yes, because I had given my word. Those institutions built into me that, that response. Right. But if institutions have been torn down and I would say little league, other areas don't seem to be working on institution. They, they seem to be working on skill set. Right. So I think and in part, my, my point of this is institutions, organizations like crew and others, when they assumed the character bit, it was because in large measure institutions all around were working to develop care, a certain kind of character into an individual. But with the absence of those now, is it the job 
should we as leaders, when we get new people in, I don't have the skill set. you know, social media is a great point. I don't have the skill set for social media. Um, I'm a rhino for that right now, uh, or a rhino, no dinosaur, not rhinos, a, a political <laughs> pejorative. Um, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to social media in some respects and a Luddite, but, but the, but I assume, but what I can give is, Hey, to a young person who comes in who has a much better skill set on that than I do, I can give a character bit. Do I need to assume as leaders and should leaders be looking at one of the best things I can do is to be able to give people character because I may not have that skill set? Uh, does it does that question make sense? It's a very long runway for that question. Yeah. So let me say back to you what I heard in that, which is uh, before, as we were raising up the kiddos, we had. Uh, like-hearted institutions from a character-building perspective. And so there was more fortifying of that character to the age of 18 in the, you know, olden days than what we might find today. And so I think this is uh, an interesting point, and I can give all sorts of personal examples where my children, so we've got three kiddos, we've got a sophomore in college, we've got a junior in high school, and we've got an eighth grader, uh, two boys, girl in the middle. And I would say that it has been very difficult to reinforce the team pew character values but I don't know because I didn't raise kids 20 years ago. So is it hard or is it not? So let's just go with the premise that it is because I, I've got institutions that are working against me. And if we say that not all the institutions were working against parents from previous generations, then it's harder. I'm thoughtful about launching my kids not as seniors in high school into the world, like you just mentioned, the preparation of that. I have to get them ready by eighth grade mm -hmm. because high school and what's happening in high school is what we used to think of would happen in college, mm -hmm. which is, hey, if you're walking with the Lord, you go to college, you are going to stray. Barna's got all sorts of stats about you know kids who leave the faith. And so I think high school is the new college from that perspective. So the point is, is that there's a character uh, reinforcement and fortifying that has to start, obviously, at the at family of origin, but even more so after eighth grade. That's the point of view that I'm coming from for part one of your question. Part two is, hey, as leaders, what can you assume about the character of the people that you're hiring? And what should you be expecting as it relates to the necessity to actually train that character if you, the leader, care about that? That's kind of the question that I heard you ask. Is that is that? Yeah, on? more or less. I think that's a good description. Yeah. It's a big question because if you take leaders, so Garrick started out saying, hey, well, I'm, I'm kind of a leader, maybe not in the same way, you know, because there's chaos and I got to figure things out quickly and I don't have all the skills and resources. Well, you're not an outlier. I would like to pin a badge on you and welcome you to the club <laughs> yeah. of all the leaders that I work with. That is their life right now, because mm -hmm. as we said, everything is upside down and everything's moving so quickly. So most leaders out of pressure from the board of directors or their boss, they've just got to fill a seat 
and do what's expedient to get the task done, provided that they're task-oriented in nature or their environment requires them to be task-oriented in nature because you got to post the numbers. So whatever your key performance indicators are as an organization, uh, a ministry, translate the the for-profit world over to your dashboard, you know, what you measure in order to determine whether or not you fulfilled your goals, objectives, your vision. The leader today has got to use their influence to push against whoever they are accountable to and suggest that building relationships that matter is the best route to the dashboard numbers, to the key performance indicators, which means you have to believe that that's the case. And to your point, wow, that seems a little revolutionary. What do people say when you put forward that relationship piece? You have to believe that that is an effective route to the numbers. You have to be skilled at building relationships, which to your point may require a level setting of what it means to be a person of high character in this organization. And then build that team and showcase the results, even though it may take a little bit longer to get there, but once you're there, the momentum is a lot faster than task management. Mm-hmm. So this is amazing. This sound this sounds so good, and I think it's a lot of you know even. So I think we could Barrett and I would say we've had these experiences, right? Of you do have someone up high who's like, in, in, even in the, in the Christian world, who are saying we got these things have got to happen, and and they do it nicely. It's not you know, and and there's understand you know, but but it does create this this focus. Of, of, I got to get some stuff done. I got to get, I got to get moving when in fact, and, and even more so in the Christian world, we should be about relationships. That, that, that is the, as you said earlier, the core of who we are. So this, this is great. Cause what, what I'm hearing is as a leader, if you're, you need to figure out who you are, right. You need to define who you are and what you're going to, what leadership is. You need to get your people together to find that for them and start working with those people and you need to protect those people to some degree from maybe protects not the right word, but you need and yourself from the push that's coming from the down. So you can, uh, you can move things in the right direction and you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it too. I think that was the other thing I heard that was super important was you've got to believe in what, what you're, what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. So your reference to the book, um, that that we wrote that I co-authored. And so my co-author is a woman named Julie Bell, and she's actually from our oh, church. Yeah, I know Julie. Yeah. And so she's a PhD sports psychologist from UVA. She actually studied under Bob Rotella, who's routinely thought of as the you know founding father of sports psychology, modern day sports psychology. And the sports psychology is a deep science. It is simple at its core. Thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to results. So it is important to determine what results you want. So Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, start with the end in mind. Where are we going? If we translate that from a scriptural standpoint, and that's what Julie and I really did with the book, is make sure that this was all rooted in scripture and not just a bunch of head hooey. And so is it real? Is it true? Well, the results piece is, Write the vision plain on tablets so that he who runs may may read it. Habakkuk 2.2, or as my son calls it, Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and so what's so fascinating about that is that this is the Lord's provision for us is that he will give us the vision. And it's, it's uh, the Hebrew of that is the revelation, meaning God's giving you the revelation. Mm-hmm. So write the vision plain on tablet so that he who runs may read it or he who reads it may run. So it can be both an instigator for you to start the journey and it can also be encouragement for while you are on the journey, you're reminding yourselves of it because we're forgetful people. I mean, we've forgotten what happened yesterday. There's a forgetting curve that says when I go and I teach somebody something, they've lost 50% of it by the next day. So if it's a two-day leadership offsite, they only remember half of what we just talked about yesterday. I mean, that's awful, right? (laughs) There's different ways to deliver that information to increase the percentage of retention. But the point is we're forgetful people. So now if we actually go to Proverbs, People perish for lack of vision. They will cast off the restraints and they will go their own way. So in my mind's eye, I think about the desert, like 40 long years, wandering in the desert. There's a vague vision to the people, the 2 million people that are there, that we're going to get to the promised land, but it's not concrete to them necessarily. They're going to say, hey, you haven't given us a vision. We're not going to settle for living under your rules because your rules haven't gotten us anywhere. So I'm going to cast off those restraints, that constraint of the rules, and I'm just going to go my own way. Well, one day into the desert and you're dead. So the point is, is that the ability for this leader to cast a vision, when you talk about protecting them, giving them. Knowing who you are as a leader, you summarized it so well, finding your people, building that relationship with them and say, okay, where are we going? Mm -hmm. Because when you plant the flag of that vision out into the future, you now have something to communicate to the higher ups. There's always a higher up. Even if you're the (laughs) chairman of the board, you've got got shareholders. If you're the CEO, you have the, the board of directors. There's always somebody that you're reporting to. If you are not clear on what your vision is, you then are going to be susceptible to what everybody else is saying you should do, you ought to do, you need to do. So I, I, I've spent the greater deal of my adult life in ministry. So the business world may be a little bit different than this, but often, in, and I've been in ministry overseas in context, which... Um, you know, building your team is less than, uh, let's say easy. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it, it's, you, you're most often dealing with situations in which, well, this is, this is the, this is the team we've got. Like, it's not like a, let's build my team. I mean, yes, there's recruiting and you pray for the right people and, and all of that, but it's less, okay, well, here's a budget. Let's go out and see if we can find the right people to fill these positions and this, that, and the other thing. So it's a little bit different than the business world. I, I recognize that I, I'm idealizing the business world in some respect in, in this question. How though, how much of, from your perspective, how much of building out your team and the vision is more an exercise of not so much getting the vision, building out your team later, but rather in ministry, sometimes it's looking at your team and going, well, this is, this is the overall vision that we have, but also look, we're not going to focus on X 
parts of the vision because we don't have the resources in order to be able to do that. So we need to adjust our vision. So how much adjusting of vision needs to happen based on the team that you currently have? That's, that's really at the end of this, my question. Yeah. So great question. I, I hear two parts. One, I've inherited a team and I don't have the luxury of actually reconstituting it. And number two, if that team isn't 100% resourced, uh, either by money or skills or personality or whatever, uh, do I downgrade my vision in order to fit the size of the team? Roughly is what I heard. Yeah. Or so maybe not even downgrade, because I would say there, there were times overseas where our vision needed to change to become bigger or much different based off of, wow, we've got a really good team in this direction. So yeah. That's why I say it back because okay. you said adjust and I said downgrade and we weren't saying the same thing. So that's yeah. awesome. So I'll grab on to adjust. Um, so let me, let me talk about the first piece. Your situation in ministry is identical to a CEO who has just been promoted to that spot. It is not available for her to clear the C-suite, the executives that have been there previously, in order to constitute that team with the persons that they want. In fact, there's a leader that I'm working with right now, and she has hired, uh, she inherited a CFO who's not cutting the mustard. She wants to move him out, but she's in the process of renegotiating her multi $50 million line of credit with the bank. Well, she needs the $50 million for cash flow purposes for investment into their growing business more than her desire to get rid of the CFO because she can't get rid of the CFO because the bank's like, hey, I'm not going to give you a $50 million line if you don't have a stable finance office. So she's got to live with the broken CFO in her mind, right? Mm -hmm. So the situation is the same, just bringing tales from the for-profit world to analogize for you. So... When I say build out the team, I'm not necessarily saying get rid of people and add new people. What I'm saying is build into the people that you've got. Okay. There's a framework called size of the relationship, size of the request. And the thesis of the framework is basically saying that the size of the relationship has to mirror, be close to the size of the request. Let me give you an example. So we move into our new house, Mrs. Harrison, 80 years old next door. She sees that we have three teenagers. She brings over sandwiches. We have a start of a wonderful relationship. Two days later, I go to her and I say, hey, Mrs. Harrison, we're going out of town. We would love for you to stay with our three teenagers for the next three days. What do you say? Like, no, thank you, because I don't know you. And the size of the request was bigger than the size of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So if you think about a big circle that is the size of the request, and then you think about a smaller circle inside of that larger circle that is the size of the relationship. So there's your visual. Very rarely in the business world, and I might add in the ministry world, do you have the luxury of downsizing or making smaller the request, meaning we have to do the work at hand. We have goals. We have objectives. So if you can't shrink the size of the request, then your only other lever in that model is to grow the size of the relationship. So when you go to someone in order to ask them for what you need them to do, 
are you actually asking them because the relationship is strong, it's it's uh, solid, and it's equal to the request? Six years later, we go to Mrs. Harrison, and she's like, I'd be happy to help because your kids are wonderful, and I love them. And you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. So when we talk about the team, and, and let's just go right, step into the spiritual realm. God has gifted you this team for a very specific reason with all of its faults and foibles. If we go back to the chosen, I, you can tell I'm just coming off of episode <laughs> two. So I'm loving it. He had the most broken team yeah. that could have ever been assembled by God's design for the purposes that were going to happen for the two, next two millennia. So if Jesus can work with that broken team, we in modeling our leadership after Jesus should thank the Lord for the team that he has gifted us with, even if with our own human eyes in the earthly world, we think that we have less than. Mm-hmm. So I, that's harder to do. Very easy to say, because we're like, Robin, you don't really know. She's awful, or he's not that great, or he's low character. Or, can, can you imagine what, you know, if I told you what he did, you wouldn't believe it. So I get that it's challenging. I mean, the point is, if you're going to be a leader, you might as well be a good one. Mm-hmm. And a good, confident leader isn't looking at what they don't have. They're looking at what they do have first. But to your point, there may be a gap. Can this team go win the championship? Maybe not. So we have the opportunity to adjust our vision. What is our win given our time in in history, the team that we have, and the location where we are doing our work, which only sends me back to Habakkuk 2. Don't define the vision without praying over it and having God give you that revelation. And what's so beautiful about Habakkuk 2 is that he tells us how to go get that revelation Habakkuk 2.1 says, go to a high place, stand your guard, make your petition, and wait. So go to a high place, meaning go to some place where you can get perspective, get out of your day-to-day, get to a location where you can see the forest for the trees, stand your guard, Which to me means if I'm on the wall of Jerusalem and I'm the third shift and it's sleeting and raining and cold and miserable, that's where he's got you for some reason. If I'm frustrated with that assignment, my amygdala and my brain is taking over fight, flight or freeze. And I'm not actually using my higher level brain to be creative and connect with the Lord because I don't really think that he's got a plan for me because I'm frustrated with the plan that he's given me. I know better. I shouldn't be in the third shift. I should be in the first shift. Stand your guard. Be content with what you have at this moment. Make your petition. Know what you want. Know how to ask for it. And then wait. Darn it. <laughs> well, so, so the way that I, I I love it, the way that you are describing that in in some sense, and maybe maybe I'm I'm not right in this, but so correct me if if you don't agree. In some sense, it's kind of like what you're describing is um, if if you find yourself out of the Olympics and the sprinting um, 
but you're a, a coach or a leader, uh, don't be afraid to say, maybe we become the Jamaican bobsled team, um, which is great because that allows you to reframe things, get a new vision, get a fresh perspective. If you look at your team and go, actually, we'd be pretty terrible at maybe, or maybe right now isn't best for sprinting. We find ourselves in the cold North. Maybe, maybe we could be a bobsledding team. And so you see that. And obviously there's vision from the Lord. What do you do though, when you find yourself in a situation where you're thinking in those regards, but you find yourself in the middle of an organization, which says, no, 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 no. We're a sprinting organization. Um, how do you, how do you lead, you know, there's the term leading up. How do you, but in that, in that instance, if you're a, you know, uh, any number of leadership opportunities would, would present itself in that way. Cause sometimes it's not, oh, these people are terrible. It's like, no, these people are amazing. Oftentimes over overseas in our context, these people, everyone that I've ever worked with has been incredible and not a hindrance to anything, but there've been times in which we've had to reframe. So we've had to go from maybe we're a sprinting team to, I think we might be a bobsled team. Uh, and so we say, okay, well, we need to go forward in this. The problem is, is that when others come in and say, Hey, we're, we're, we're a sprinting organization. Um, and you say, well, I, I think given the, how do you, how do you lead up in that situation or that's bringing change and that's bringing a paradigm shift. Revolution. It's very difficult. Yeah. It's a revolution in, in some sense. How do you lead into that change? Yeah. So it really does go back to the concept of influence that we started with, because when we say influence and we say leader, our mind's eye sort of thinks of the people that report to us. We kind of look down from a sort of vertical hierarchy perspective. And when we're able to define leadership as influence in the way that we have over the course of the conversation, that means to the people that are not necessarily in our charge. So outside the organization, the people that we run into, God's divine appointments on any given day, we're utilizing that influence, we're leading out in those conversations. Well, when you turn it back into the organization and you're looking up, you have a certain amount of influence based on the relationship and the people to whom you report or that are uh, you're engaging those conversations who, for that example, are out of alignment for the way that you're thinking about we're a bobsled team versus a sprinting team. So you have the same thing available to you, which is building into that relationship in order that you then have the authority or the influence in their heart and mind to be able to speak to them about things that you happen to have a different point of view. So when Garrick was saying, you know, uh, belief, uh, sports psychology, thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to results. I say it all the time. I was doing a workshop for a team and the CEO who had hired me goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, whatever. And maybe something else. I was like, well, I've staked my whole career on thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to results. And you just hired me to help your team. And yet you're questioning the premise, which was so fascinating, like straight out of the shoot. I said, oh, well, Len, what do you mean? And he said, what about belief? And I said, mic drop. We should have put it in the book because our belief system is what informs everything that we think. So when we talk about belief, we know what we mean, which is the inerrant word of God presented to us through the scripture and from that, our worldview, our belief system then flows. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So the reason I'm bringing that up at this moment in time is that when you've gone to the high place, stood your guard, made your petition, waited, and you've got a revelation from the Lord, chances are good as you pray that up and you socialize that with other people and make sure it's in alignment with scripture, you then have a level of belief and what you know you uh, for the vision that you're supposed to pursue that that level of conviction, that level of belief, the Lord will give you the words and the wily ways to be able to communicate that to everybody that needs to hear it, not the least of which is those who get to knight the resources for you to be able to do that, even if that means it's contra to the current institution of thinking we're sprinters versus bobsledders. Mm -hmm. So one thing I'm hearing all this too is, and I think it could be a little helpful for people, is that leadership is 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 a long game. It, it would you would I mean I understand that there's sometimes projects or something, but it it feels if if you're really wanting to take, and there's probably a, an off ramp at some point, right? If things I mean things can go sour, right? Things can go, but it, it feels that if you're wanting to really to make an impact as a leader. It, you have to be committed to 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 persevere to to stick in it for a while. With how how would you how would you respond respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one um, aspect of leadership. Or let me say it a different way: um, you're in a lifelong journey of leading yourself well. Mm -hmm. This is where we come back to: lead yourself, lead the team, lead, you know, grow the organization. You may not always be in positional authority to lead a group of people. And so there are seasons of time. Let's say that you are in that position, then yes, leadership is a long game. Because if you're only in it, well, let me get my 100,000 souls and let me get that in you know four quarters. I, I, I don't know that that's the right way to think about it, mm -hmm. you know. When people come to me for leadership coaching, I said, you know what, if you're looking to me to help you with business development, to generate a million dollars in the third quarter, I am not your guy. Your engagement with me has got to be at least a year long, if not long. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to results. I'm not your actions coach. Again, this is where we started. Hey, let me teach you some skills. Okay, leader, go out and do it. I'm not your actions coach. I'm your thinking partner because in your thought life, your routines of thinking, there are certain lies that you're believing and your truth, your, your, your uh, stick of truth is crooked. The only person who ever had the straight stick of truth is Jesus. So where are you believing something that's informing a set of actions that are keeping you from the results that you want? I don't know, but let's work through that because every thought you have produces an action or an inaction that gives you a particular result. A particular result. So when I'm talking to Mary and I'm like, man, she just doesn't get it. She doesn't have the skills. She's on my team. I don't know what to do with her. I can't achieve our vision with her on the team. You know, she's got, she's just extra dead weight. Well, that belies the fact that 
God, she's made in the image of God. She's endowed with certain gifts for whatever reason, God has the plan that she's on your team at this moment in time. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean you're right about the situation. Sure, there's facts that prove the statements that you're making, but you're sort of, if I could be hyperbolic, you're crucifying Christ all over again by not actually believing that yeah. these are the gifts that he's given you for the leadership that you've got. Take it to a marriage example. God gives us our spouses to sort of work out those rough edges in the sanctification process to make us more like him. Because he knows that there's stuff that we need to work through and that mirror, that person, that person that's one with us is a gift by God to be able to help us move more in the direction of him. And that's a, that's a sanding process. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we probably do need to wrap up, but I, I want to finish with a, with a kind of a final thought here. Um, because Barrett and I working in Europe, leadership is a, is a tricky concept, it's a tricky word. And there's a lot of negativity associated with it. I think that goes back to second world war things, you know, leadership has not always turned out well and, and those leaders were not ideal you mean dictators have given leadership a bad <laughs> exactly yes I'd, yes I'd, I'd say it goes back to the middle ages but yeah but, I, I think yeah. we're dealing with a lot more yeah. than just a generation or two and and, and what what i what i'm what we're hearing today i think is a is a positive is not the right word but it's an inspiring vision of leadership that that is you know inspired not only by uh what people are thinking what's working but also you know by Christ, because, you know, this is this opportunity that we're given. And I think so many, so many times I, I, even sometimes in my own life, and I think we've probably all been there. There's hard, there's hard years. There's hard moments in leadership where you're like, gosh, why am I doing this? Um, I, I don't think I'm the right guy or there's a lot of doubt. And so you, you talk a lot about confidence, but I want to get back to this idea of like the, the positivity of actually the opportunity that is being given to us as leaders. And so I, I know in Europe and I, I was once in a meeting, with, with with our boss, Nacho Marquez, who's a fantastic leader, and we were talking to other leaders, uh, actually the Leadership Development HR uh, global team for crew, and we were talking about raising up national leaders as our heart. And and just I, I mentioned, uh, you know, it's it's hard. There's a lot of people who don't – they don't want those positions. They don't want to take on that responsibility, not because uh, they don't um, – they don't want to, but they see it as a, as a burden. They see it as taking on something. Having, and Nacho, I remember he, he said, he said, you know what? That is a problem we have. And that is why I always try to say, I'm so happy with my job. I'm so happy. I have this opportunity to, to, to lead and to, and to, and to serve people. And he, he, he totally helped me reframe it, at least within a European perspective of, of thinking. And it was kind of an aha moment for me. Like, okay, we need to, even the way we talk about our own leadership and, and what we're doing, we need to, to to reframe it as it what it is is an opportunity it's an it's a it's an opportunity to inspire uh to 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 not just get stuff done right like getting stuff done is great but it's it's there's much 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 more about this and i think i think that's what we need um and i think that's what paradigm i've been been scratching we feel that but we don't always hear it articulated um so anyway that's kind of a maybe a, a final thought if you guys want to want to throw out any other but I didn't really have a question there. It just was a, was, was a rapid I'd love, to, I'd love to jump in on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How we're modeling what it means to be a leader mm-hmm. is not particularly particularly aromatic to the people who are watching. Mm-hmm. 
in part because we're running around like crazy people trying to get a list of tasks done. Mm -hmm. And because they have options where before in previous generations, they didn't have as many options. They're basically saying, if that's what leadership is, I'm out. Yep. So while we're trying to elevate leaders, the best way, the most impactful way to get people interested in leadership is to model it. So when we are modeling what it looks like to be a relational first leader who builds those relationships around a team who then has everybody doing the tasks in their area of gifting, which doesn't feel like work to them, and we're supporting one another for that team effort. Now you're getting people saying, if this is what leadership's like, then I'll do that. And one of the best books for this moment in time to help leaders really understand how to reframe leadership for themselves, not for the people that they're trying to convince or persuade or cajole into being leaders, but to reframe for themselves is John Mark Comer's book, which is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. At the end of the day, and this is my interpretation of his thesis, if we're hurrying, It is because we are attempting to control our circumstances, which basically means we don't believe that God has got a plan for us and that his plan is sufficient. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would add on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Your, your, your thoughts are so much better than mine. (laughs) Finish your thought. I I just was going to leave the value bomb for your audience, which is you don't have to do anything as a leader. You don't even have to leave your apartment or your house. You have to abide in Christ and he will open all of the doors of influence that will end up getting the job done. Now, the job, meaning the tasks to be done, might actually be a different list. Take your list, put it off to the side, abide with him every single day. He will make the right list. And he will give you the be strong and courageous boldness that you need straight out of Joshua to be able to manage up and communicate to your leaders this slightly different way of going about doing things because he's the wind in the sails of your leadership. You're not over here rowing and trying to get other rowers who are strong enough to be pulling on those oars. He's just going to blow the wind into your sails and you're going to get exactly where you need to be. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not our small minded thought of what can be done. Those are, those are fantastic words. Um, I, I love John Mark Comer's book, uh, Relentless Pursuit of, or Relentless, I am blanking on the <laughs> title. The Relentless Pursuit of, uh, no, The Relentless Elimination of Hurry. Sweet yeah. mercy, people. <laughs> uh, I would add to that uh, another book uh, by Steve Cuss, um, Managing Leadership Anxiety. Those two books yeah. have done more for me in my leadership journey than probably anything else. Um, that bit of finding my own anxiety and how getting rid of that and becoming a, a a calm presence in the middle of anxiety is allowing everyone else to calm down and have that elimination of the hurry and it's going to be okay. Um, which 
is it's just been a phenomenal book um you know I, there are so many so many other other topics robin you have been incredibly yeah. generous with your time with us um i have all sorts of questions about as baby boomers um more or less leave the workforce and this demographic leaves and there's not enough generation xers and millennials come up and everything else the gap that's there i mean if you just look at the united states uh political leadership it's incredibly aged and there's this massive gap in the younger people that are coming up what does that mean for future how do you lead in organizations um i have a garrick and i talk about we're at our best doing evangelism and ministry when we're at play um i'd like to talk i'd like to I'd like to pick your brain on on what does it mean to be a leader and play. So that goes into that modeling bit a little bit, but play meaning you're enjoying yourself because you're probably in the sweet spot of who you are. Um, and so you're able to lead others better and you recognize your limitations. There's so many other places that we could go. Um, maybe if you'd be up to it, we could we could call this part one and we could explore a few other, other uh, topics with you. Uh, but Regardless, you have been incredible with your time. So much wisdom. We have not yeah. even scratched the surface. Yeah, well, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'd love to come back if that's uh, something that's useful to you and your listeners. You know, Garrick mentioned at the very beginning our newsletter, The Confident Leader. We send it out on Sundays for the very specific purpose that you are preparing your leadership for the coming week. And only God knows what doubt is going to wash over the bow of your leadership. And so we wanted to be a resource for leaders to really prepare that leadership um, mindset for the coming week. And so if that's useful, um, you know, your audience can absolutely subscribe to that. We only want to serve the people that are served by the message, but it's those little pieces that we're finding uh, are useful for leaders. And so uh, between now and the next time that we get back together, uh, feel free to subscribe to that if you want. But, you know, we're just happy to to serve leaders across the globe. And yeah. uh, thank you for what you're doing and how you're supporting them in the way that, you know, they're in the trenches, they're on the front lines, which is so great. Cool. This was a lot of fun. And we will, uh, I, you know, for those listening, uh, keep watching because we'll we'll have more Robin uh, in the coming weeks, months, however we publish uh, these things. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, hear we'll, some we'll, more. we'll throw we'll throw it into the magic editing machine and see what happens. <laughs> well, Robin, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day as you start it there in Dallas, Texas. Enjoy what it means to live in the paradise of Texas barbecue. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And for you audience members that are listening, have a confident day. You're doing an amazing job, even when you feel like you're not doing an amazing job. And even though we can't see you as you listen to this, we see you, we care about you, and we are committed to your success. And if God didn't pack it in your bag, you don't need it. You are fully provisioned for the journey that he has you on. And we bless you in the name of Jesus for your obedience to go forward in the calling that he has put on your life. And there is no mistake that you are exactly where you need to be at this moment in time. Amen. Amen to that. It's a great blessing. Amen. It is. Have a great day. Fellas, Buen Camino.